We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's mailbag time, Ryan. Let's dive into the mailbag. We've, we've got some questions here we're going we're gonna to dive into, and let's start off with our dude, Rob Osgood. Rob says, I love that the big three are spread out. However, as a coach, how would you get ready for trap games like Duke and Louisville? Thank you guys for the hard work. Great articles on the board. Ryan, I think the best way to over to overcome trap games is not anything you do that week. It's just about who you are as a team. It's just about really building in your players a week-at-a-time mentality. And I think there's two ways to do that. One is wrong and one is right. The right way to do it, the wrong way to do it to me is to tamp down the importance of every game. And I think that is something Brian Kelly did that helped him win those trap games because we didn't see Notre Dame lose a lot of those trap games in the last four or five years under Kelly, right? I mean, they went undefeated for, I think, from 18, from 17 to 21 they didn't lose a single game i believe to a to an unranked opponent right they lost the big games but i think that mentality is exactly why you lose all the big games during that stretch as well because your team isn't able to emotionally get ready if your team is always kind of here not here that's too high and you don't want to be here but just kind of here where you're an intense passionate team that just brings it every saturday and you don't really care who it is it's we're notre dame we got something to prove I think building that edge is how you overlook you, how you how you keep yourself from overlooking those trap games. You've got to have good leadership, right? This is a veteran football team. And I do think the one thing that helps Notre Dame a little bit is the presence of Mike Elko being at Duke, although I don't know how much that's going to help Notre Dame because there aren't any guys left on the team that were recruited by him, to be honest with you, or or were here when he was there. I mean, he, that was all the way back in 2017 now. Think about that. That's just crazy. And and so even Sam Hartman wasn't in college when Mike Elko was at Notre Dame. If you think about it, he's a six-year senior. His freshman year is 2018. Yeah. Sure. So, you know, you'd have to be a seventh-year senior to have played under Mike Elko. So I just think it's about just focusing on you every week. Focus on you. Hey, we go out and play our game to the point that you were saying in the in the during the main show, Ryan, is you've got the ability to beat everybody in your schedule. So that means you worry about you. You don't got to yeah. play out of your minds to beat Ohio state. You got to play your game. You know, you got to execute at a high level and all that, but you don't need like a bunch of things to go your way. Like Notre Dame needed in 2020 to beat Bama. Sure. Beat Bama in 2020. Sure. If they could have forced a couple turnovers, caught a couple breaks, things like that. Yeah. They could have, they could have beat Bama in 2020. If they caught some breaks, you don't have to even catch breaks to beat these teams. You just got to play your game and play it at a high level. That's the difference that I think Ryan, I believe that you were alluding to, earlier and so when your focus is on you i think that's how you avoid sort of the ups and downs of of this where you have the emotional high of being ready for an ohio state but then the emotional low of being down for duke i think it's just about this football team is going to go out and play with a certain standard the golden standard that it doesn't matter who's on the other sideline we are playing to this level and i think that helps you in those weeks where maybe you might otherwise overlook an opponent because the ohio state clemson's they're going to raise your energy just anyway. You don't sure. got to pump that up. But if you're spending all your time tamping it down, then I think that's how you end up not being ready for some of those games. 
Well, I, I think the I think the golden standard is a great way to put it. I think consistency is the biggest thing for me, right? Is that it was a little bit of a up and down kind of kind of a exploration of yourself last year in Marcus Freeman's year one. I think year two, coaches mature, players mature, and I think they need to understand and that good programs are built off of the day in and day out consistency, right? You know what to expect. You know what the standard is a hundred percent. And I think that's what you're going to see this year. I do. I think that Marcus Freeman has a year now under his belt of understanding what works, what didn't work and what needs to be the consistent approach each and every day. Cause at the end of the day, Notre Dame players are going to look ahead to the schedule and they're going to see Ohio state. They're going to see clubs and they're going to see USC. Those that's naturally going to happen. Those are the big brands in college football. But I think when it, when, if you're Marcus Freeman, cause I think that's the approach, Brian, just based upon the practices you've been at, I mean, they're grinding, man. They're super physical. It's been like day in and day out. It's and been like a, a grind, lot of this, man. a lot yeah. of intensity, like a lot of yapping, just yeah. like getting after it competition early. Yeah, they're not they're not playing around now. How will that translate on Saturday, Ryan? That we don't know yeah. yet, right? I have no but, idea. But the point is that you're making also, Ryan, is but that starts now. You don't wait till the week of Duke after you beat Ohio State to start that. You start that now because that's just got to be who you are. Exactly. And I think that's the whole point uh, that we're making. Nothing's here. competition. Nothing's given. Day in and day out grinds. And and I think that honestly, when you have built that into your program of the grind and the work that you also don't have as much for outside distractions, right? Because the day in and day out of what's on your plate is all you're kind of preoccupied with as well. So I also think that it's – I wouldn't say that it steals your your attention, but it kind of does to a degree, right? It's like the laser-focused focus type of thing of this is what you're responsible for today. You got to get through it. You got to beat it. And I, so I think those individual challenges are a big thing for me. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Next question, Ryan. This is going to be an interesting one. Gideon Rosa. I'm going to ask this one because I want you to answer it, Ryan. I want to hear your answer okay. first. So let me ask Gideon's question. He goes, after after Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr., who are your top player concerns that Notre Dame will face? He says, I think Cade Klubnik will take a big jump. I agree that Cade Klubnik will take a big jump, Ryan, but he's yeah. not He's not my next group of players that I would be concerned about. But I want to, before I go mine, I'd like to hear yours. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a bucket of players there, Gideon. So I, it's an interesting question because I think when you look at the schedule, like those are the two superstars on it, right? I mean, that's two of probably the top five players that are going to be drafted in the 2024 NFL draft. So I think like if if you wanted another player from Ohio State, I think the guy that's kind of got a, a stamp on his back is Michael Hall Jr. was the one that kind of sure. gave you fits last year, right? Like I, I think that he's the guy that was an X factor for Ohio State last year, but now he's a guy that Notre Dame looks at and says, that guy gave us fits last year. He caused us a lot of issues. He had a couple sacks against us. He had consistent inside pressure. Michael Hall Jr. is the guy that's going to be on my radar. I'll give you an underrated one. I mentioned him a little bit earlier, but I think that honestly, the one of the best players on this schedule that no one 
even probably knows much of, you know, just kind of for people that don't follow pit football is Matthew Goncalves, who's a left tackle for them. Kid's good, man. Like at preseason all ACC, I think he was first team all ACC last year, 6'6", 320 pound left tackle, had a second round NFL draft grade this off season. That kid's a good football player. And I'm worried a little bit about with, if Pitt gets to Notre Dame of, if they don't have a strong side end or a field end that's playing really well, that kid will kick your butt, man. Like he'll yeah. kick your butt a little bit. And you're going to have to be able to to kind of match his physicality. So there's some quality football players on, on the schedule just in general, Gideon. But I would say Michael Hall Jr. for what he did last year against Notre Dame for Ohio State and Matthew Goncalves, who's a left tackle for Pitt. Those are two of the guys that really popped to my mind quickly. A couple for me, Ryan. Obviously, yeah. the Ohio State D linemen are concerns, right? Uh, not, I'm not a big Jack Sawyer fan. I, I, I think yeah. he's overrated. JT's an excellent football player. When he's on, he's really good. Now he's not always on, but he'll be old, he'll be a junior this year, right? So you expect a little bit more consistency. You mentioned Michael Hall was really good. Tommy Eichenberg ate Notre Dame up last yeah, year. I mean, player. he ate yeah. Notre Dame up last year. And, and and what I said the other day is, look, you can do a good job of of putting all your energy into shutting shutting down Marvin Harrison Jr. and then doing so but you run the risk of getting whooped by the other guys. You've got to make sure that they don't beat you either. And that's what happened last year with the Mecca, right? And and yeah. you saw with Mayan Williams taking over. I, I look at NC State, Brandon Armstrong is a concern for me. You've got to make sure he doesn't go off. I mean, on the road, you can't let him get hot early because he can, you know, that that off the nature of that offense can can do damage. Notre Dame had some issues at times stopping that offense last year when they had a more mobile quarterback in the game, yeah. if you remember. Of course you remember you're sitting right beside me in that game. <laughs> but again, a game they should win, but I just that him running that offense and him it's not so much if you can keep him in the pocket. I don't think Brandon Armstrong is a guy that just sits back and rips you up all day. It's when he gets running around that he can do some damage and scramble and then throw pull up and throw it over your head when you you know come down on it. Uh, we talked about Duke and Riley Leonard. Uh, that's another guy. Dwayne Carter's a guy that's got some quickness that can be really disruptive inside that can kind of mess up your run game a little bit. He's a guy um, that that I look at. You look at later in the schedule, obviously against Clemson. Look, you go on the road, you got to make sure Will Shipley doesn't go off, right? You're going to have to make make Cade Klubnik beat you, right? That's my – I mean, I'm still not letting them – this is how Notre Dame's got to be this year, Ryan. You can't go on – if you want to go on the road, you cannot let that team at home run the football on you. You just you've got to take that part of your game away, and and so that's one for me that I would look at as well. And and then Wake Forest receivers are dangerous. I mean, even without Don McGreen, that's still a dangerous receiving core that Notre Dame is going to have to face. Wake Wake Forest has a really good defensive end, Jasheen Davis coming back as well. Who was they have like thirteen tackles for loss or something like that last year. He was a productive player. Everyone everyone talked about the Rondell Bothyard kid who went into the portal, but Jasheen Davis was easily their best defensive end. I thought he was a little overrated, to be honest with you. Uh, he's the kid that went to Oklahoma, right? Or did yeah, he go to so USC? No, he's, he went to Oklahoma. So they're running a three. The Purdue five kid went to USC. Then I get those yeah, two kids confused. Okay. Yeah, Jack Sullivan went to USC, but the Bothyard kid went to Oklahoma. Apparently, they're running a three-three-five, and he's playing like a base end in a three-three-five at two hundred and sixty pounds. I'm like, oh, okay, Alrighty. have fun with that. Okay, <laughs> sure. Okay, that'll work out well. Yeah, playing some four-four yeah. I have fun. See ya. Yeah. Here we go. Next questions from Brandon Plensner. What's up, Brandon? How do you see this up this upcoming coast to coast conference realignment affecting visitors' attendance, especially in the non football sports? Do you think this could have a big effect on schools financially? Maybe. I, I mean, yeah. maybe. Here's so for for teams that are in the top echelon, it won't affect them at all. Because if yeah. let's say that that uh, Stanford joins the Big Ten, right, and no Stanford fans show up for Ohio State game, guess what? Ohio State's still going to pack that stadium, right? Yeah. Where it starts hurting teams, it starts hurting like the Indianas, the Purdues, the right. Rutgers, the teams like that that don't have the fan base. They need the ten to twelve to fifteen thousand fans from other teams, you know. So when that when Rutgers plays Ohio State at home, guess what? A lot of Buckeye fans go to that game. You know, when Penn State plays at Rutgers, a lot of Rutgers, a lot of Penn State fans are going to be at that game. Same with Michigan. I don't care how loyal Sanford fans might be or Washington fans might be. That's an expensive trip that you have to make three, four times a year, right? So you're just going to see a little bit of a loss for that. You're especially going to see that in other sports. 
I mean, it's going to be hard enough for football. You're going to see that in those sports. The problem, the bigger concern for me, Ryan, is there's a lot of moms and dads that now basically don't get to watch their kids ever play in road games right. in those other sports. Now, football, you can kind of do it, but that's still an expensive trip for a West Coast parent. But what if your son's a basketball player or your daughter's a basketball player or a swimmer or whatever, and you're doing these like middle of the week soccer trips and basketball trips, and I got to now take off work, pay buku bucks to fly from the West Coast to the East Coast to see my kid play. That's an unfortunate situation that that they're just, again, they don't care. They're not taking that. I think they've probably thought about that. They just don't care. Well, that hurts the parents, but that hurt us. We're going to be making money off this, and that's all that matters. It's right. it that to me is the bigger financial issue and attendance issue is going to be. There's just a lot of parents who aren't going to get a chance to see, go get, see their kids play in a lot of games because I mean, half your games are at home and half your games are on the road. I mean, that's just the reality of these games, and you're just not going to be able to see that as much. Football will be an issue, but even more so for those other sports, those non football sports, especially the ones that play games during the week, baseball, soccer, lacrosse. You know, those type of sports, Ryan, where they're, they're, they don't play Saturdays and Sundays only. Right. They play in the week right. as well. Yeah. I was actually talking about that with a buddy yesterday, Brian, because I feel like we've never really talked about that before. You, It's funny you just mentioned it. About the parents being like, like if, I, if, I'm a, if I'm a parent of a USC football player next year, let's say, and like, I mean, are you going to have the ability to travel to – Ohio state and Penn state and whoever else is in the Midwest team. I mean, it's really kind of cuts mm-hmm. off the availability to make those trips and stuff. So Brandon, I think to the question though, Brandon, I, I think it could have an effect for sure. I just think that the effect could happen in like a bunch of different areas, right? It's not just the visitor list. Cause to Brian's point, like Ohio state's always going to have a great home crowd. And state's right. always going to have a great home crowd. Like, you know, these schools are always going to have great home crowds. So the visitors are still going to come, but Stanford, Indiana in October, right. like, <laughs> is someone going to come right. to that game? I, do you want to bring a visitor to that game? Like, I don't know if you want to bring a visitor to that game because you're like, maybe I'll wait until Ohio State comes to Indiana at some point, right? Like, it's just so, so tough, man. That's why this realignment stuff is so weird because it's just, I feel like this is getting forced upon us a lot quicker than we thought it was going to have to get forced upon us. And it's going to cause a lot of issues, man. A lot of issues. And it's also going to hurt some of those West coast teams. Like if, if Stanford and Cal get into the big 10, it's going to hurt their home yeah. attendance because like, if you look at Stanford Cal, they'll have decent home attendance, you know, for, for some, when they're good. But the part of that is because when they play Notre Dame, for example, I've been to several Stanford Notre Dame games at Stanford. I was at the 11 game, or excuse me, I, yeah, I was at the 11 game. I was at the 13 game. I was at the 15 game out there. I was at the 17 game out there. And every single time, there's a big contingent of Notre Dame fans, right? So now they're hosting Rutgers. They're hosting Purdue. They're hosting, you know what I mean? Like you're telling me those those fan bases are going to put 15, 20,000 people in those stands like, like they do now? No, it's not happening not happening it's just it just isn't and that it's a, but again they just they don't care because they're getting their tv money and that's it they're getting the there's too many people that are if you're a bad business owner you're going to obsess over the guaranteed money and not yeah. focus as much on the hidden costs of that guaranteed money and you're going to miss out on the opportunity to to make more money if you're willing to maybe bet on yourself a little bit or be more thoughtful or rational we're like hey you know we're going to take a chance here uh, and th- there's, that's one danger you can have as a business owner. The other thing you can have as a business owner is you think you're more important than you are. And that's what killed the PAC 12. The PAC 12 thought they were more important than they were. Ego, and, uh, right. yeah. yeah. And it, it cost them. It cost them a lot. Ego costs a lot of people, man. Yep. Self-realization is a tough thing for people sometimes. Yep. Raymond Harton with the super chat. Raymond, what's up, man? Thank you for the super chat. Great show today, guys. Pump for the season this year. Go Irish. Yes, sir. Go Irish. Yep. Thank you so much. We had a next question for Coach Koch. It says, what do you make of the offensive line situation? Why would they not play Kristoffic and Billy? From what I understand, they are both better than who they have given the reps to thus far. I don't agree that that, that Andrew Kristoffic is necessarily better than Rocco Spindler. The, the, the 
I mean, that's that's a battle we kind of thought could happen, right? I mean, you and I even said this summer, I won't be surprised if at some point in time this season, Rocco Spindler ends up being a starting right guard. We that said that was the conversation at the end of spring was that he was kind of taking yeah. a step forward and really right. kind of, you know, ur- there was urgency in his game, which was great to see. Right. Yeah. The other one I understand. Like, I get that. Like, I, I understand both sides of it. I understand the need or the desire for an offensive line coach to say, let's put the kid out there who's just going to do his job snap after snap. That, trust. I, trust. I get yeah. that. Because yeah. you, if, if a guard makes a mistake, that means there's a run through. Your running back's getting hit. Your quarterback's getting hit. I, I understand that. I also understand and sympathetic to the whole, uh, well, that's why I think that Notre Dame did it in the wrong direction. I think they put Coogan in there and basically said, Billy's going to have to beat him out where it's like, but if the criteria is just doing your job, every snap, the third year guys most likely going to be ahead of the second year guy. Right. What I would have rather seen them do is put Strouth out there early, really work with him, coach him up. And then if he's just not getting better from an execution standpoint, then you can make the switch in the middle of camp to Pat. That's what I think. Whereas now if, if let's say Pat can't get the job done because he's not athletic enough or, or he's not talented enough, now you you make the switch to Billy, but Billy lost a bunch of reps working with that first group. That's where right. I think the mistake was made. So you now, hopefully, end of the day, though, Ryan, yeah. you, you, perfect scenario for me is Billy Shrouth and Rocco Spindler, the guards. But at the end of the day, right. if Pat Coogan goes out there and gets the job done, don't care. Get the job done. Sure. Don't yeah. care. Just get the job done. That's at the end of the day, all I care about. It's nice to have the more talented guy, the upside guy. But if Pat Coogan goes out there and handles his business and Notre Dame is running for 200 yards a game and protecting the quarterback, don't care. Yep. Don't really care. Because offensive line at the end of the day is not always about the five most talented guys. It's what five-man group is gives you the best unit. And if you've got one guy that's just – I still it, – it's like the – did you ever break down film of the 2016 Notre Dame offensive line? Like they were actually pretty good at tackle left guard mm-hmm. and center. They had, uh, they had Mike McGlinchey at left tackle and Alex bars at right tackle. And Alex was pretty good that year. You had yeah. Quentin Nelson at left guard and you had Sam Mustford mm-hmm. center, but the right guard position was a hot mess early in the year. Colin McGovern really struggled. Got it. Got and it, so yeah. he had a lot of issues. He was getting beat and that caused Alex bars to feel the need to have to help him out more. Sam Mustafer felt he had to help him out more when they put Mark Carroll in the starting lineup late in the year, the offensive, it was a lot like what Joe Walt and Andrew Christophic did for Notre Dame in 20, uh, 2021 is all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And all Mark Carroll did was just, he just did his job. That yeah. was it. And they went out in the last three games and, and averaged over 200 yards a game rushing the last three yard, three games. And a lot of it had to do with it just, dude, I just need you to do your job. I don't need you to be Quentin Nelson. I already have a Quentin Nelson. I've got a Mike McGlinchey. I've got an Alex Bars. I've got a Sam Usfer. Four guys who've started NFL football games, right? Yeah. I just need you not to get beat. Don't get whipped. And Mark Carroll did that. Mark Carroll solidified it and steadied the line a little bit. And I think that's what they're kind of looking at is look, we got Joe Wall, we got Blake Fisher, we've got Zeke Carell, Rock. We just need someone that's going to do their job. And until Billy can prove that he can do his job every snap, I just think this is what they're going to do. I think it's risky. I'm not sure I love it. I don't know that I sure. love the idea of Pat Coogan being the one to you know block Michael Hall and you know those guys that Ohio State's going to have up the middle. Ty you know, Malik, uh, uh, Tyreek yeah. Williams and those type of guys. Tyreek Williams, excuse me. Yep. Um, you know, having to come off of of blocks to have to pick up a hard crashing Tommy Tommy Eichenberg like we saw last year. I don't I don't love that idea. But if sure. he proves me wrong, great. I, I don't care. I just care that the unit plays well. Uh, yeah. But I understand both sides of of that coin when it comes to. The, I'm a little less sympathetic to it at like receiver. Because I can live with a couple mistakes from a receiver if he's good enough. As a former quarterback that played behind a bad offensive line in college, I'm sympathetic (laughs) to the notion of making sure that you have five guys that know how to do their job. I I hope your former offensive linemen aren't listening to this podcast right now. I doubt it. (laughs) And they knew. I said it to them then. That's why, so funny. that's why they don't like me now and probably aren't listening to the show now. <laughs> well, Coach Koch, I, I think that for me, this is a situation of Coach Rudolph trusts what Pat Coogan brings to the table. And I think that trust is big for offensive line coaches at times. I, I'm a big traits and upside guy, right? So, like, I wish it would be a different story, but that's kind of where we are right now. 
Brian, I was thinking about some of the best defensive linemen that Notre Dame, you know, my brain is like super random, but I was thinking about some of the best defensive linemen Notre Dame's going to play this season. I know people are talking about Anthony Lucas. By the way, I was looking at the USC roster the other day. They have Anthony Lucas listed at 265 pounds, by the way, okay. which is kind of weird because I thought he was like listed at like 290. He's, he's just one of those kids that's dead set against playing inside. I, I just, I think that's what it kind of boils down to. Man. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I, I want to see uh, respond to this real quickly too, Ryan, with all due respect okay. says, uh, do you think the long distances will lower attendance numbers of games? I, I do. But again, I don't think they care. Attendance yeah. has been going down for years, but they don't care. Matter of fact, in, in to the NCAA, that's probably a good thing for them because if right. teams can't travel to games, they're still going to watch. They're just going to watch from home. They're going to watch from their TVs. At the end of the day, I think that's what the the, the decision maker. Now, I don't think the schools necessarily like that, Ryan, because they make their money off home games and 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 stack filling stadiums too. But if you're if you're the SEC, if you're the Big Ten, if the attendance is lower because teams can't travel, that means more eyeballs on TVs. That means this, and ultimately, sure. that's all they care about. Uh, and, and, and people say, "Well, no, they care about no, no." If they cared about anything other than money, USC and UCLA are not in the Big Ten. Oregon and Washington are not in the Big Ten. Rutgers is not in the Big Ten. Maryland is not in the Big Ten. Okay? If it was about anything other than money, the conferences will look very different right now. Very sure. different. It's nothing but money. So if people can't go to games and if people have to stay home and watch TV, that's a win for the leaders of these conferences and a win for the for the networks. That's just the reality of it. And yep. so I don't think I think they're okay if attendance goes down because people who would otherwise attend, Ryan, aren't gonna stay home and not watch. It's football. They're gonna watch. watch. Right, exactly. They're gonna yeah. just watch from the TV instead of going to a game, which for the, the decision makers is a is a win for them. I wonder if with all due respect is in response to me and Vince's uh thing a couple weeks ago. Did you see that? I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw that a couple weeks ago. So oh. it was um Charlie Weiss's last belt loop had said something like I talked about Sean Sebelato. <laughs> He was like, um, he said something like, uh, with all due respect, I have my concerns. Oh, yes, I did see that. Yeah, and I was like, Charlie, that's not respect works. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He said, with all due respect, you're fat and terrible. Yeah. (laughs) I said, with all due respect, sure as heck does. (laughs) Doesn't mean you can say whatever you want to me. Sure as heck does. Uh, Oh, boy, that's uh, great. Great scene, by the way. With all due respect. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Coach Koch, what is the ceiling for Javante Jean-Baptiste this season? Over, under, six six sacks. Best case scenario in the draft for him. I, I would Man. say let's, the fir- let's take the first part, Ryan. Uh, over, yeah. under on sacks. I think that's a fair uh, placement for sacks. Yes. I'd say probably five and a half is probably where I would have placed it because I like kind of doing the half thing, so it's not oh, a Oh, you got to do the half, man. You got to um, do the half. Five yeah. and a half is a good over under. I mean, if he gets to that, that's a good year. I, I don't see him being like an eight, nine, ten sack guy. I don't, I don't think he's no. going to have the rep, the reps for that. I mean, if he can get to five, six sacks this year, that's a win. That's a successful season yeah. for him. Uh, is 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 uh, a successful season for the Notre Dame defense. My tongue got tied a little bit there. Uh, so uh, that would be a good number, if, honestly, for me. If he can get to five yeah. or six, that'd be that'd be ideal. Five if he gets to that number, Ryan, what does that do yeah. for his draft stock? You can comment on the first part, but then also sure. just lead it into your second part. Yeah, five and a half, I think, is the actual number because I was thinking in my mind between five and six. So that's the number, Coach Cops. If it's at six, I would probably just say push. <laughs> you know, like I think six is is a decent outcome. Actually, I think it's a very good outcome for Javante Jean Baptiste. Best case scenario. 
he actually had last season a draftable grade, a seventh round grade from the NFL. So I think the best case scenario is you're talking about midday three, right? So somewhere in the fifth-ish, fifth to sixth round type of conversation. Because I don't think he's going to be a great tester. He's, we already have arm length measurements and size measurements. I mean, he's going to be 6'4 and a half, 260 plus pounds, and he's going to have 33 plus inch arms and an 80 inch wingspan. So, like, he fits the mold of a defensive end at the next level. I don't think he's a great athlete, though. Like, I think he's yeah. a good, solid athlete for his size, yeah. but I don't think he's great. He's so, a good athlete. He's, yeah. Yeah. But not, he's ex- going to need not- the. Yeah, he's not Josh Burnham. He's not Jordan Patelho. He's not those guys right. as an athlete. Right. Would you he's say he's more Adi Takuba Ogundiji than he is like, you know, because I didn't think Adi was an explosive athlete either. I saw he was a good athlete with really good length. Yeah, um, I can see that a little bit. Yeah, I can see that a little bit. Yeah, like maybe Khalid Kareem, like that type of, you know, just like strong side, just strong dude, right? Like he has a lot of power in his hands. He's got some pop. I just don't think he's going to be a great tester in the draft yeah. process. I think Agreed. that his draft stock is going to be predicated upon the game film and then whatever all-star game he goes to if he does well mm-hmm. in both capacities i think he could be a midday three type of player somewhere in the fifth to sixth round conversation next question is from coach Cotts. what's up again does jd bertrand top 100 tackles this year and what does that do for his draft stock well 100 tackles the only way he doesn't get to 100 tackles is if he gets hurt i mean he had over 100 tackles two years ago as a will and in this particular defense, I think the Mike position is is kind of the position that you 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 want him to be. If you look at where he was this year, Ryan, he had he had 82 tackles this season. He yeah. missed two full games when you consider getting kicked out of a half of a game because of targeting twice. Plus, he missed the Navy game. And so, if you add those numbers on there, and and not even take into account the fact that he missed parts of two others, you're already getting him near a hundred already. Then when you take into account that he also then missed that time in those games, he actually did get kicked out and he's on pace for hundred last year in a year where you know, his, he started off very poorly. And, and I've, I've talked about this before. If, if you look at his production from a tackles number in like the last, even just the last seven games of the year, when he had a little bit better sense of the defense and he knew the timing of it a little bit better and he just had a better feel for what they were doing, he was a guy that was on pace for 100 tackles, I mean, over right. the course of an entire season. So uh, the number, if you take from Stanford on and you take his tackle numbers, uh, he's on pace for about 110 tackles last year in the last seven games that he played in. Right. So even if you'd have taken out, even with the injury against Navy, he was on pace for over 100 tackles just in the regular season last season. Mm-hmm. So if you actually take his his average in those games and you put it out just the course of a regular season, he'd have been at 101 just in the regular season, just in the 12-game regular season. So barring injury, and, and I think they're going to rotate a lot at linebacker this year. I don't think they're going to rotate J.D. a ton. I think he'll come off, but I look, they have a lot of faith in J.D. Bertrand, and he's very important in what they do. And he's yeah. a lot better than Notre Dame fans think he is. I mean, yes. So he's just not a guy they want to take off the field a ton. You're going to rotate him. I think you'll put Jack Kaiser there at times. I think we'll see a little bit of Drake Bowen as the season goes on, you know, taking up some of those snaps. But J.D. Bertrand is not a kid they want to take off the field very much. And if you look at his production on a per-snap basis, Ryan, and the other thing I pointed out too is if you look at his numbers in the last half of the year, he had a ton of solo tackles. Like yeah. he was on pace for like, I think, what did I say? Like it was like 70-something solo tackles at that rate of the course of a season. Yeah. The highest Notre Dame has had is like 69 with Jalen Smith. I think is the high, the highest solo tackle number they've had uh, in the last, you know, 16 Jalen Smith had 69 in 2015. Like that's the last Tavon Coney was 63 in 2018. Jalen had 69 and 15, 64 and 14. Uh, Manti had 55 in 2012, 62 in 2011, and 64 in 2010. JD was almost at a pace of 80 if you look at his last six games of the season, right? So it wasn't just him being around the ball a lot and and stacking up those assisted numbers. His solo tackle numbers in the last six games he played in was nuts. right? And I think that's going to carry into this year. And so the only way he doesn't get to 100 is if he gets hurt. That'll be the big a big key. 
the thing is though is that 100 tackles jd's done that before right i wouldn't be shocked if he got to 100 tackles i don't think it also would help his draft stock a ton he's already been productive i think the things that people want to see from jd is consistency from an NFL draft perspective i'm talking about consistency don't miss tackles right don't miss tackles inside don't miss in space and more impactful plays, I think, is the biggest thing, right? Maybe a couple interceptions, a couple pass breakups, a sack or two. Like, more impactful plays on top of being a tackle machine would be a big help because JD's going to be another kid that I actually think is going to test pretty well. Yes. But I don't think he's going to measure that well, right? Like, he's going to be six foot and a half, maybe six one on a good day. And he's probably going to have 30-inch arms. Like, that's just going to be where it is. It's not going to be great. But if he shows impact – and a good tester, I think he has a chance to sneak into the back end of the day three. I think what will help him from an NFL standpoint is I think his testing is going to surprise some people. I do. Yeah. I think the Three, only thing on the four, six, something in the yeah, four years, high like four, yeah. five. Yeah. yeah. The thing for me, Ryan, the only production numbers that will, will increase his, like that part of his draft grade is yeah. if he has a lot of negative production meaning like tackle for losses uh, tackles for loss exactly and if he goes out and racks up 105 tackles but he's got 14 tackles for loss that's the only thing on the field that will raise that up because partly to your point the only way he gets to 14 tackles for loss is if he improves those things that we've seen jd miss plenty of shots to get plays behind the line the last couple years because of that length issue if he starts cleaning those things up and starting to bring those guys down then that tackle for loss numbers are going to skyrocket because i pointed this out Again, if you look at his tackle for loss numbers over the, cor- the, the course of the, the last half of the season, he had six and a half tackles for loss in the last six games. I mean, that guys, that's that's really good. Okay, that's very productive numbers. And if you if you pay, pace that out over the course of an entire thirteen year se- thirteen game season, that's fourteen tackles for loss. If he does the numbers I just projected off of the last six seven games of the year, and he does that over the course of an entire season, you're talking about a guy that's on pace. Ryan for uh, 110 tackles, 14 tackles for loss. He'd have had like seven or eight pass breakups. That production will help him as far as the evaluation part. But at the end of the day, you don't get drafted because you had 110 tackles. You get drafted because your game projects to that next level. So I I think that, that those things will be more impactful for like all American recognition postseason recognition things along those lines i think sometimes as fans we put a little bit too much into well if guy produces x numbers how's that improve his draft stock there are some positions where that matters but i just watched will levis get picked in like the second pick of the second round as a quarterback and he never threw for 2900 yards in in today's version of college football oh you want to hear something funny i was watching the tennessee preseason game the other night and he was in and he overthrew like a deep out or something. And these announcers were losing their minds. Like, oh, look at the spin off that ball. <laughs> it's a freaking incomplete pass. <laughs> it's like five yards of my <laughs> It's a nuts, man. People uh, just JD do not know how not to evaluate slow. quarterbacks. Dude. JD is not slow. No. Stop the nonsense yeah. in the chat, please. JD yeah, it's the same person that was making slow. the same arguments about Clemson. <laughs> just I'm getting to the, I'm getting to the point now where I just kind of think it's trolling a little bit, to be honest. Well, it's, it's like people thought the same thing about Drew White that he was slow, and then he ran four six yeah. five or whatever he did. It every almost like... every <laughs> testing number J- Drew White had was better than Nicobe Dean's. Almost every <laughs> single one. I think vertical is the only one that Kobe Dean had over Drew White. Yeah. So yeah, just just yeah, enough stuff. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, oh man, uh, Paulie B underscore twenty seven with the question. He says, "What in y'all's opinion is the most important critical stretch of the schedule, and what are your real realistic predictions for that stretch?" It's a great question. It's that second set of four for me, man. That's a tough. That's a tough stretch. That's where it really begins. I mean, because your first four. We've talked about it, right? You you have Navy, Tennessee State, NC State, Central Michigan. All right? It's a tough stretch. But then the Ohio State game really starts a nice little stretch of Duke, and then you go to – what was the next one after Duke? It's Duke, it's, then it's – Yeah, the, the, the second third is Central Michigan, Ohio State, and Duke. Yeah. And then the third third is Louisville, USC, and Pitt. Yeah. And the final third is Clemson, Stanford – or Clemson, Wake, Stanford. Well, I was talking about that middle. I was talking about the middle 
four after the, stretch. the first four. Yeah, so, so about that Ohio would be State, Duke, Duke, Louisville, USC. Yes. Yeah. yes, that's a that's a grueling stretch. Yep. It's not easy. If you come out of that three and one or four and zero, oh, Notre Dame be a really good football team this year. One hundred percent. That is your yep. make or break part yep. of your season. I agree. Now you you can be good during that stretch and still not be who you want to be because if you drop some games late, you shouldn't. But you can't be who you want to be late if you're not good during that stretch. Yeah, hundred percent agreed. Hundred percent agree. I mean, you, you've got to go into November with no no with one loss or less. That's just the reality of it. Because if you go into November with one loss or less, and then go on the road and beat Clemson, beat Stanford, and beat uh, beat Wake, you've you've made your case, right? right. You've made your case. And if you're undefeated, obviously, then you're you're an even better even better position. We had next question from Michael Kostrub. Kostrub, excuse me if I pronounce that incorrectly. Watch the Notre Dame win over Clemson in 2022 again over the weekend. Can this team run over the teams on the 23-3 schedule like they did at Clemson, if need be? Well. I mean that's hard to do, Ryan. I mean, again, the 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 Clemson game. We have to look at it this way, right? Was it great? Yeah, it was great. Was it a bit of an anomaly? Yeah, it was, because they didn't run like that against Ohio State. They didn't run like that against USC. So you have to ask yourself, okay, can they be that team? They they're capable of it, but it's just not something that you're going to do consistently, in my opinion, and win games because we even saw in 2017. It's the greatest stretch of running the football I've ever seen from Notre Dame football team. With all due respect to the great Lou Holtz teams, when you go back and look at that 2017 stretch of running the football, Ryan, I, I literally have never seen anything like it. Let, let like It started against BC. Notre Dame ran for 515 yards, a buck 82 against Michigan State the next week. By the way, Michigan State that year, Ryan, finished second nationally in rushing yards allowed that season. Then they went for 333 against Miami of Ohio, 341 against North Carolina, 377 against USC, who was ranked number 12 in the country, 318 over NC State, who had four uh, four of their defensive linemen, starting def- all four of their starting defensive linemen were drafted in, I think, the fourth round or higher. And yep. their starting Mike Linebacker was a third-round pick, who is a, a – a, didn't he make a Pro Bowl in the last Jermaine couple of years? I yeah, started in the Super Bowl, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, for, for the Bengals. And then they went for 380 against Wake Forest. And here's the crazy thing. Again, the, the, the numbers are, are big, right? But you can say, well, you ran the ball enough. They averaged 10.1 yards per carry against BC, eight and a half against Miami of Ohio, six against North Carolina, eight yards a carry against USC, 5.9 against NC State, and 8.3 against Wake Forest. But what happened in November? 109 against Miami, 163 in an ugly win over US over Navy. 154, only 3.5 per carry in the in the uh, the loss to Stanford. Right, so you've you've got to have the balance, right, and that's the key. Is if Notre Dame has balance offensively because their pass game scares enough people, then they may be able to have more of those rushing games. But they're right. just not going to go out and run over those teams because the difference between USC and Ohio State and Clemson is USC and Ohio State were smart enough to say we're not just going to let them come out and line up and play mano-a-mano football and try to beat that offensive line. They said, we're going to scheme our way to success on top of trusting our players. Ohio State could trust their players more than USC. USC basically said, we're going to make Drew Pine beat us. Simple as that. And he couldn't. Ohio State clogged up the lanes. They had really sound run stunts in that game, Ryan. Uh, And they played, of course, individual players played really well, especially inside. But they said we're not gonna we're not gonna let Notre Dame run the ball on us. If you're a good football team, you can do that. Clemson's mistake was they thought they could line up and play their base defense against Notre Dame. That that was their mistake. They just lined up and played their base defense, and Notre Dame ripped them up. That's not gonna happen this year. I promise you that. Teams are not gonna be that stupid unless unless the pass game can be dangerous. And we've got a question about that, Ryan, that I, I think might be – this might be the time to kind of bring that up. I, there was a, a, a question that, that came into it. It's from Matthew Wyrick, who's – yeah. He says, if you watch a lot of the film from last year, how State stacked the box against us and blitzed us. Do you think teams will play or teams will scheme differently now with Hartman, a quarterback? The, the reality of that question is, is early in the season, I still think they're going to say, 
you're not going to beat us running the football. And it's not so much about Sam Hartman. It's I'm going to make Tobias Merriweather show me he's that player. I'm going to make Chris Tyree show me he's that player. I'm going to make Jaden Thomas and Jaden Greathouse and Deion Colsey and Matt Salerno and Rico Flores show me that they can beat me. It's not about Sam Hartman. It's about them. And, And the other thing, too, is when you have a scheme designed to stop the run it is an easy transition to also being a, a system that can a, attack the quarterback in passing downs. Would you agree with that, Ryan? So if yeah. I have a really aggressive stack the box thing, it's very easy for me to also then be bringing uh, uh, pass game fires. We saw that at Ohio State last year. Their de- delay blitz scheme against Notre Dame last year was awesome. I mean, Notre Dame just wasn't prepared for it. And so it was very easy for them to transition their numbers in the run game into numbers in the pass game from a pass rushing standpoint. And so it still comes down to we're not going to go man-to-man against that offensive line. We're going to try to beat you with numbers and angles and overloads and stuff like that and make your receiver receivers beat us. Because even if we can't – you know, we're, we're, we're going to stop the run, but we're also going to use that to then put pressure on Sam Hartman. And he's going to have to get the ball out quick, and your receivers are going to have to outplay us in one-on-ones. They're going to have to run good routes and get open. They're going to have to do all that stuff. And until they show me that they can do that, I'm still playing Notre Dame kind of similarly to how I played Notre Dame last year, which is sure. your line's not your your box. You're not going to beat us in the box, man to man. We're going to outnumber you, and you're going to have to beat us on the perimeter. So I do think that teams are going to still do that against Notre Dame. And if if they can't beat them and can't make teams pay throwing the football, then they're not going to have a whole lot of games like we saw against Clemson last year. Because again, that most teams are not that dumb. Yeah. And with all due respect to Clemson, yes, your defensive line is very good. But, I mean, a, a good run game, Notre Dame was able to win the numbers battle. That, that's Football in a lot of ways in the run game, Ryan, is a numbers and a leverage battle in a lot of ways. And Notre Dame was able to get numbers and leverage to sides because Clemson played base. Notre Dame could use motions and shifts and different things with their tight ends and receivers to get duo into situations where they had numbers. So even though – because, like, here's the thing about a lot of the, the – now, Notre Dame had their fair share of gap gash runs up the middle – but a lot of their big runs early were bouncing duo outside. They just sealed everybody inside, and Jaden Thomas would lead the guy kind of around the edge, right? The what was it? The third and it was like third and twelve. They ran duo, and it went for like twenty yards. It was a bounce because yeah. Clemson stayed in the box. Notre Dame sealed them off with leverage on their formation and just bounced it outside, right? Ohio State's not doing that. They're not going to let you get the leverage advantage like that. USC wasn't doing that. And that's why you could run over Clemson, who has a better run defense than either one of those teams, but you couldn't run over them because Clemson's plan was unsound. It was sound, but unsound. Does that make sense? Like, it was a sound defense. They played their base defense, but it was unsound against what Notre Dame's strengths were. And I don't, they're not going to make that mistake again this year. I'd just – I'd be shocked if they do. Everyone everyone always talks about the RPO and just talks about the pass off of the RPO, right? Like throwing out, you know, the quick lances or the – or the screens or whatever it might be. But I I think what people miss with the RPO conversation sometimes is that you're doing those things because you want to run the football, right? You want to lighten that box. You want to get extra defenders outside to defend those outside passing concepts so that you can run your inside zone and your other running options inside. Like at the core, RPO is a run-oriented system. It's just you're trying to pass the ball in order to get the numbers battle, to get the leverage. Like those things – and I think that Notre Dame this year, having Sam Hartman as a legitimate trigger man is a great step. Having more RPO implementation, I think, is a big step. And hopefully having wide receivers that can win more one-on-one matchups, to your point, is a big step to being able to run the football against anyone. Because, yes, there's going to be always the occasional Clemson when you have a good offensive line and you have guys like Audrey Gestam in the backfield. But then there's going to be games against, like, USC, where – they don't respect you enough in the passing game, even if even in giving up passing in that game, to say we're going to give you light boxes. You have to force a team to be uncomfortable. And I just want to answer one more thing in the chat, Brian, because I just the I just saw someone say the Georgia linebackers all run four 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 five. The best Georgia linebacker the last three years is Nicobe Dean, who was a four seven athlete. Can we please stop <laughs> the nonsense, please, please? <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. Didn't the fastest Georgia linebacker hat that had on that 2021 team, wasn't he a guy that uh, didn't even – did Channing Tindall even start on that team? Or who was – one of he their linebackers start. got drafted. Who was the one that's – who was the other linebacker they had on that team? It was Tindall. So it was Quay Walker. 
Quay Walker. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just these myths kind of get started about certain guys, right? And yep. like you said, yeah, Quay Walker ran fast at a combine, and so did Channing Tindall. But you made yep. the point. They ran a force. Their best linebacker ran a four. This is what I was talking about. Drew White was faster and more athletic than Nicobe Dean from a testing standpoint. And and Drew was pretty athletic. Drew's problem is he was fast and sh- very short arms. And he, I mean, not fast, excuse me, small and very short arms. He was like barely 220 pounds. That was, that was his problem. But athletically he was better than, he was better than Nicobe Dean and every, every, almost every metric except I think vertical jump. Right. Right. And so you get into these things where you keep convincing yourself that this, 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 and this, but here, here's the other thing too, is even if that were true, that's one team. It's one team, right? You're using the anomaly to try to define the rule. So yeah. again, if, if, if you're going to talk about saying, well, this guy's not fast because he runs a four, six, you're out of your mind. The guys that run faster than that are unicorns. They're unicorns. You yeah. can pull up this guy ran this, the guys, they're unicorns. They're not normal. You can say a lot of things about being critical of, of JD Bertrand, but to say that he's not fast is just, it's getting to the point where it's just absurd. It's not even to say that he's not fast. It's to say that he's slow. That's yeah, what I like. It's just like, silly. Okay. It's yeah. absolutely silly. Yeah. And you were not, okay, whatever. I'm not even, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of done answering those questions. <laughs> Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.